Subscribe to The Spectator this Christmas and get the next 12 weeks of print and online access as well as a bottle of Paul Roger champagne, all for just £12. This offer is available in the UK only. Go to www.spectator.co.uk forward slash Santa to subscribe. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, The Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Max Jeffrey, and I'm joined by Katie Bulls and Fraser Nelson. Rishi Sunak unveiled today his five-point plan to tackle illegal immigration. Katie, can you tell us the details? Yes, yeah, so this is Rishi Sunak's first step in the small boat situation, which he, know, which he said is the thing that he's going to have to focus most of his time on. He's also quite notable that he's taking personal responsibility from it. So rather than a lot of this coming from the Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, is something that the Prime Minister wants to own, which I think reflects why uh, the fact it's uh, seen as such an important issue, whether you look weak or strong on it in terms of a party's electability. So today, uh, Richard was laying out ultimately non-legislative measures, so things that don't need to be done through legislation, through a vote. And this involves, so a dedicated unit of 400 specialists uh, are going to be set up to handle claims from Albanians, which you know are uh, you know, a large chunk of the current number arriving here. 700 staff for a new unit to monitor small boats crossing the English Channel. Sunak has also said that he plans to house 10,000 asylum seekers waiting on claims in disused holiday parks, former student halls and surplus military sites. And I think this is partly because of the level of public outrage when it came to, you know, the talk of how much... uh, taxpayer money was being spent on hotels per night for those arriving so I think this is trying to take it you know say it's not actually going to be mainly hotels going forward and when he was going through the measures I think Rishina saying that he does think this will have a, a notable effect and will help clear the UK's backlog of asylum seekers by the end of next year I think we may still see more drastic measures still that could require primary legislation but this is the first taster I think and intended to suggest that the Prime Minister is getting a grip on the issue. Fraser what did you make of the plan? I thought it was actually rather an admission of, of, of weakness, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Was it getting 400 people to work out, so, and, and a team dedicated to Albanians? Now, in Sweden and France, they just need one person to say that Albanians cannot claim asylum. That if you're from there, you can't possibly, because Albania is a safe country, an EU accession country, by no means um, you know, the best country in Europe. But when you talk about an asylum policy, most people think about people fle- fleeing conflict, fleeing persecution, not really fleeing Albania. Now, for some reason, Albanians are a huge influx. I think they're off small boat crossings. I think they, there's, um, there was one calculation that 2% of Albanians working age male population are currently applying for asylum in Britain. Uh, so it's a big problem, and I think that Rishi Sunak himself could not work out why it is that the Swedes have managed to um, deal with this issue when the Brits have not. Now, I think the answer to this problem is quite simply laws. Right now, there are various laws which, if, if you wanted to say, as the Swedes and French do, sorry, Albanians, you don't qualify, he would probably be sued. So in order to stop being sued, you need to pass a law. Now, the funny thing about Brexit is that it allows this country to be sovereign. They can make the laws wherever they want. Whatever the king enacts in Parliament is law. There is no higher authority. That's our constitution. It can be overruled by a European court. But all it does require is for Parliament to pass a clear law that is not open to another interpretation. 
you wouldn't think that would be too difficult for um, a government to do, but it seems to be difficult. So it seems that Rishi Sunak has ended up against the same legal obstacle that Boris Johnson found out when he came up with his Rwanda scheme. Um, the Rwanda scheme was you know, seen to be draconian, controversial, pretty popular amongst the public. And the idea was, if, even if your claim was approved, if you arrived here via illegal means, you'd end up in Rwanda. But in the end, that um, plane didn't take off because the European Court of Human Rights in Strasbourg has a ruling not saying it was unlawful, but saying more time was needed to consider all the consequences. In other words, the government nil lawyers won. Sunak can very easily win a battle with lawyers by passing a law, yet he hasn't done that. He's passed a whole bunch of things, having all of these small boat spotters to patrol the coast. We've been patrolling the coast in this country for a long time. My dad used to patrol the coast. That was his job during the Cold War. Uh, I'm not quite sure what uh, the spotters are supposed to do. The the problem simply is a failed asylum system with something like 130,000 people currently being processed for asylum. Under David Cameron, 90% almost of asylum claims were dealt with in six months. Under this government, it's 7%. Now that's uh, bad for asylum seekers, bad for the country, bad for everybody, but it only encourages more of these crossings and people risking their lives in appalling circumstances. Notably, Katie, it was the Prime Minister making this statement in the Commons today, not the Home Secretary. What do you make of the fact that that Rishi Sunak is taking personal charge, it seems, of this issue? So I think it's twofold. So I think one, uh, you can see from that polling, it's a big enough issue that the Prime Minister wants to be on the front foot. So wants to look as though they are taking grip on it and therefore you can take grip on it obviously Fraser laid out some of the reasons for scepticism that should reflect well on both your own personal ratings and the party I think second you have Suella Braveman as Home Secretary and I think it's been pretty well covered that a large part of her appointment was more for political reasons so the fact that she brought the right of the party to Rishi Sunak represented the fact he had this broad cabinet rather than perhaps uh, the view that she was the person who was most you know well equipped equipped to grab hold of this um, issue. And therefore, I think there is a sense that um, Rishi Sunak wants to put, uh, you know, wants to take control. But also, if you look, for example, the fact Robert Jenrick is in the Home Office, that is a Sunak ally who lots of people think is doing a fair bit of the job that Suella Braverman has been asked to do as you know and I think when you have strong junior ministers in a department it can be a sign of the department's importance but I think it also is a reflection of uh, I think Rishi Nook seeing where he thinks Suella Braverman's strengths are and a lot large part is and I don't think number 10 are unhappy with the rhetoric that comes from Suella Braverman who's just talking very tough on it but I think when it comes to um, being all over this um, a lot of it will be done from number 10 for that reason and also having Robert Jenrick in the department too. I don't know if we're giving too much away here, but Katie interviewed the Prime Minister for the Christmas treble issue of The Spectator coming out soon. And in the interview, he told her that he has spent more time on small boats than any other issue apart from the economy as Prime Minister. And I think this also nods a little bit to the style of Rishi Sunak, that he is somebody... I wouldn't call it micromanaging, but he's not a sort of chairman of the board like Boris Johnson is. He is the one he wants to get stuck in. He wants to take charge of certain issues. That's more of a sort of Gordon Brown approach to it. Now, I'm not going to compare him to Gordon Brown. I imagine he's a lot more competent. But I think we are going to see in him a prime minister who will be personally chairing um, certain crises and small boats 
he puts as, as first amongst them. The problem, the problem there is if he says he's going to fix something, it doesn't get fixed. This leads to um, disappointment. Yeah, how serious do you think that would be for Rishi Sunak Fraser if he isn't able to deliver on the promises that he's making today? I mean, they're quite serious saying that he'll get rid of the backlog completely by next year. Will voters, you think, punish him for that? Well, I, I don't regard it as being that particularly ambitious. I mean, I don't think anybody seriously claims there'll be zero asylum backlog. I mean, even like six years ago, there was um, when the asylum was a far smaller problem, there was, there, there was still a backlog. There always is going to be a backlog. I, I don't think that his promise today amounted to very much. I saw this in something, it's got the form of a kind of, a big announcement, X many hundred people, you know, with binoculars on the coast looking out for small. I don't know how they're going to do it. But I couldn't really see it make much of a difference. If he'd passed a law in Parliament saying, from now on, we, like Sweden and France, are not going to accept Albanians, that would have made a difference. I think we st- still could see, though, things in terms of passing laws um, in the new year. I think this is uh, Rishin trying to say, yes, it's my priority, and here are a few the early measures. There are also a few things we haven't mentioned yet. So, for example, you have border force officers in Albania. That's one of the announcements he said. But I think perhaps one of the more important ones, and one that Rishi Sunak has already been criticised for by some charities, and probably those more on the left, is that he plans to raise the threshold for victims of modern slavery seeking a asylum in the UK and I think this could be important in the sense that when you um, speak to those um, around Sue Ella Braveman they think that the current modern slavery uh, laws which Theresa May former Prime Minister was a very big advocate of mean that the right to appeal and actually to to stay means they think it can be misused I think it could create a little bit around the Tory side if you think about Theresa May's legacy on this because for example when I had Fiona Hill a former Theresa May advisor on my podcast with my balls I think she sees um, Theresa May's modern slavery legacy as, as one of her most important and this is watering that down to a degree. It's from that modern slavery thing, by the way, I mean, for all Theresa May's claim to it, that was um, created by the Centre for Social Justice, given to David Cameron's office, who then asked May to introduce it, which she did. Now, I um, obviously, I, I'm involved with, with the CSJ, I'm on their advisory panel, and I was a great supporter of that legislation. But there's no doubt that it is now being abused, and that's what happens if, if law isn't tidied up. So much of what's going wrong in Britain right now is related to unclear law. And this, of course, is what Parliament is supposed to sort out. It's supposed to have these revising chambers, the committee stage is supposed to make it clear. It shouldn't, if the Modern Slavery um, Act is leading to abuse, this can be quite um, quickly amended. And I think that a legislative solution for this is going to come through. I was also struck, another part of your interview, Katie, when you, I think you suggested to the Prime Minister that um, the Rwanda scheme had failed and he was thinking, what makes you say that? You know, And I took from that, just, just, just reading your interview, that he intends to um, revive it somehow. Now, of course, that again would point to legislation. So maybe what he's planning is a kind of a big bill um, in the new year, which would give clarity on these issues and thereby reduce the potential for um, legal wranglings to thwart their attempts at border control. Now, Mick Lynch, the Secretary General of the Rail, Maritime and Transport Union, did the broadcast round this morning and didn't have a particularly easy ride. Here's what happened on Radio 4. The, the question was about the average amount of pay lost by your members through strike action, which in the summer yeah, was you estimated at... Fifth, so are you which, going to contribute to our I, hardship I, funding? I, is, is there an amount 
that, that in, in the summer it was estimated as being an average well, amount of 1,500 per person. Why are you pursuing this line, Because you've why said... Why are you pursuing this line, And on Good Morning Britain. We are striking at this time because we've not got Christmas, a settlement. Commercial Christmas and, uh, starts in and, uh, December. You know well, that perfectly well. You're being disingenuous. It's not disingenuous, is it? It is disingenuous. So, of course it is. Well, Christmas, commercial Christmas does not start on answer. Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve is when people shut Richard, early. Don't be ridiculous. Richard, just... Katie, what did you make of it? So I think it's really interesting in the sense that when we talk about the strikes... Uh, it can sometimes feel like a little bit of a repetitive conversation because, so will the government bring in these strike laws it keeps talking really tough on? And they say, oh, we're really prepared to, we're going to keep talking tough, but nothing just yet. Um, but one of the things that I think is more live in this, as we see, you know, a, a month of strike misery really for lots of people comes down to who will wear the blame and you saw in this morning round Lynch being quite prickly and not taking questions very well and there was one question in particular in the Radio 4 interview which is when he was asked repeatedly, well, how much have striking rail workers already lost? Because if you look at the number voting for this, it has gone down Lynch was quick to say it's still the majority if you can do basic maths but it has gone down somewhat and he was really reluctant to get into the details because there have been reports actually the amount lost from walkouts could come close to what they would gain anyway from the from the pay increase if they get it and I think that's what uh, perhaps why he was so in alert when it comes to it. Fraser, Mark Harper, the Transport Secretary, said he thinks the tide is turning in public opinion, saying that people are not so in favour of the rail union's cause as they perhaps once were. Do you think he's right? I think the problem for the government is that the strikes aren't quite as unpopular as they should be. A lot of people um, have been disrupted, there's no doubt about that. But then again, a lot of people are rather hoping for a pay rise right now. For a lot of companies, the pay rise has come in January, and they would quite like something which matches the cost of living. Inflation's going up by 11%. How many people are going to find that, or a pay rise of 11%? I think the answer is very, very few. In the private sector, the average is 7%. In the public sector, 2%. So the overall cause is one which people do have sympathy with. But the techniques which the rail unions are using does seem to be outrageous. I mean, the average driver gets paid way more than the average passenger, and people are aware of that. And when public services are withdrawn, it, um, it just drives, it does drive people mad. And again, here's something which I think the government's planning to do in the new year, pass laws that will basically ban certain strikes and protect certain essential services and also will stop the Just Stop Oil guys from um, debilitating um, fundamental traffic as well. So I will plug it for the last time today, but Katie's interview with the Prime Minister does have him saying that people quite often mistake his politeness for softness and he intends to show them that he is, what did he say he was, Katie? Polite but firm or something like that? Well, he kept saying, don't mistake politeness with, t- with softness. And I said, and he was also talking about his radicalism. So I said to him, well, what are you then? Are you a polite radical? And he said, yes, exactly that. Thank you, Fraser. Thank you, Katie. And thank you for listening.